and welcome to Connected, episode 305. I'd like to thank our sponsors this week, Squarespace and Pingdom. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I am joined by my friend and yours, Mr. Mike Hurley. I enjoyed you checking the episode number. That's 305. And five. <laughs> I could do it in the NASCAR voice again. Nah. I was a hit, but uh, not with me and Federico. Mm-mm. Speaking of Federico, he's here too. Hey, buddy. Hello. Hi. Ooh. Please don't ever do the NASCAR voice again. You sound you sound awake, caffeinated. I just had it a few minutes ago. Mm. So it's, it's you would know if you were a member of Connected Pro. <laughs> we got yeah, because it happened <laughs> during the show. Federico created an innovative espresso uh, consumption technique. Mm-hmm. Called chugging. <laughs> Connectedpro.co. That's the URL, right? Sure, it is now. Connectedpro.co. Connectedproco. It's no way to spell it. Follow up. There's a lot of NASCAR artwork floating around out there. I just want to point out Michael's render of a NASCAR race car, car. with the Connected Pro artwork on it. It looks awesome. So be in the show notes. It's mm-hmm. the if we were gonna race, which one of the three of us would would race? Probably not me because I can't drive. Hmm. So which one of the two of you would be the most likely to get behind the wheel of the NASCAR car? It has to be Steven, right? Why? Because well, just because I feel like this car is it uh, is it gonna have like a like an actual shift? Is it going to be one of those fake American cars with automatic Oh, yeah. Shift? Oh, they've got to be shift if it's a race car. Okay, if it's going to be shift, it's going to be me then. Okay, you have no air conditioning. You're sitting on top of a fire extinguisher and you have a net for a window. It'll be, yeah. it'll be fun. Sounds dangerous. I like it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, how do you know how I usually drive? <laughs> I want to yeah. feel like James Dean riding this. Right? I don't think James you know, Dean drove a NASCAR. I don't think James Dean was well, known something for like that. Something like that. Um <laughs> I know I'm gonna make Casey either very happy or very upset about my shift comment. Like he'll be autumn. happy. He believes in in that. Yeah, yeah that's the that's thing that he wants. One thing we like about Casey. Too too bad they're all dying out, and it's a a lost art. Can I tell y'all a story about? A, I was driving yesterday. I was driving yesterday, mm-hmm. and uh, I was on the highway, and a big like tractor trailer, eighteen wheeler thing kicked like ran over i guess there was some gravel in the road not really sure but kicked up some rocks and i caught one basically dead center in my windshield and now have a crack going both oh up and to the side of the mm. impact so on my list next week is have my windshield replaced in my truck i'm not happy about this at all it's very annoying i saw that on your instagram i think sorry about that well at least it didn't break the window Oh yeah, that would have been bad news. I mean, it's uh, it's safety glass, like it's laminated somehow, so it's it's designed to sort of take a hit and and be okay. But it's uh, it's a bummer. I want to get it fixed because uh, you can get ticket for it. Well, I mean, all glass is safety glass until it breaks. Well, <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> you know, all glass has an impact level. So, anyways, I'm gonna get that taken care of. But uh, probably should. I don't, I don't. I don't want to get pulled over for it. I just replace it with a net. <laughs> yeah, like Federico's NASCAR. It's the windshield, though. Like I feel like net on the side is okay. You don't want that in the front. Then that but rock. If you get like cut. a mosquito net, it will be like fine enough 
that nothing's going to get in. It's not going to catch a rock stuck. at highway speeds. It broke glass. It's going to punch right through that net. Well, the glass didn't do a good job of it either, did it? Well, it didn't hit me. So, so in a way, it did its job. Just pull the net really tight. <laughs> like a trampoline? Yeah, it'll just bounce off. Yeah. Windshield. You hit, you'll, hit the, you'll hit the truck back. You'll show them. Yeah. Take that. <laughs> that truck. <laughs> There's a very connected episode of Upgrade this week um, that I think listeners of this show will enjoy if they haven't heard or don't, or don't listen to Upgrade, where Stephen came on the show and uh, we reviewed uh, the icons of the the new macOS version, Big Sur. Uh, how, what is it called? What is the name of this uh, version of macOS, Federico? Oh, Big Sur. Thank you. <sighs> Um, and Jason assumed the role of Federico. Uh, nobody particularly asked him to, but he definitely did. And it's quite a wild episode mm-hmm. of Upgrade. Um, and I'm actually very pleased for it. So it's a fun one to listen to. It's episode 308. Um, if, if you're looking for more japes um, from from a tech show, then these are some more japes. There was definitely japes in this show. Big teachy energy. That's he did have that BTE. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A little bit be, uh, behind, ba- not behind baseball, inside baseball. Behind the baseball. <laughs> behind what? the baseball. Behind, behind baseball. <laughs> a little behind Everything's baseball Everything's behind baseball right now, am I right? <laughs> Can't keep a control of, the, of that baseball season over there, can you? No, it's uh, it's out of hand already. Well, the last like six days? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Way to go, Miami. Rooting for everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were going to record this. It was going to be like half an hour, right? I was going to come on. We were going to record it, record it first, and then, mm-hmm. like, y'all would just do the rest of the show, and and then yeah. in edit, you would drop me and you know my segment in the middle. It's not yeah. unusual. Yeah. It's kind of how we do these things. If there's a mm-hmm. guest, right, so you can cut them loose. They don't have to stick around for an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And it was important for me because I had a show that afternoon. I was like, I can't do a whole episode of Upgrade. Well, we basically did. It's basically most of the episode because it, it got off the rails. It's about uh, it's over an hour of the episode was was just the three of us icons. being silly about icons. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's very fun. We 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 ended up throwing out a bunch of the episode that we hadn't yet recorded, and so but it was it's better for it. So it's good if people want to listen to it. There's also tons of chapters, which was really difficult to put together, but it works. So there's like chapter art for all of the icons that so you can compare them. So yeah, it was a fun episode. All right, uh, let's move into some tiny topics. And I wanted to talk to y'all about do, D-U-E, because all of these names sound the same when I say them. has to always be, like every time I ever mention it, do, D-U-E. Yeah. Do. 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 Not D-E-W, not D-O. D-O. So this is an app that I think most people, at least I at least, primarily use it on my iPhone. It's a reminders app, but its trick is is that it can remind you endlessly almost to do something it's persistent like the, the reminder will keep occurring until you actually check it off like if you can leave it like if you ignore the first notification most applications it's just then oh well that's that but do will keep notifying you it will keep sending more and more notifications until you go into the app and or like from the notification actually remove the reminder which is very good it's a very fun feature, and it? Super helpful for things like taking medicine, mm-hmm. like that kind of stuff, right? It's like it's really good for stuff like that. Yep. Uh, but the the Mac app has been pretty bad for a long time. I would imagine most people use this on their phone. This is the type of tool that I think is really useful on the phone. And uh, the good news is there's a new version on the Mac. Uh, John over at Mac Stories reviewed it, so go check that out. It'll be in the show notes. Really nice visual overhaul. Looks much nicer. 
Uh, and I kind of want to see, like, is this something that you guys use on the Mac? Is it just an iPhone thing for you? And then I want to talk a little bit about the pricing. Just an iPhone thing. Um, I don't even use you on my iPad. Like, it is an iPhone application for me. Like, that's where I use it. Um, the What I find interesting about this revision on the Mac is that the design is completely different uh, and quite opinionated. Like, there's some real big typography decisions and stuff, which I find interesting. Like, I wonder if they're going to, if the developer's going to bring this design style over to iOS too. Um, but it's quite peculiar. I feel to see a design refresh happen on a multi-platform application, but the Mac gets the design change first. That doesn't really feel like a thing that happens very much anymore. Yeah, I don't use it. Um, oh, do you not? Then, you used to, though. You have, or at least you have used it, haven't you? I have at some point, and I feel like it was just making me very anxious. Okay. Um, so, like, this idea of it keeps reminding you until you do something. I've been trying to to get rid of, of such things in my life as much as possible, mm. either by a combination of, uh, as, well, mostly delegating stuff to other people uh, because I'm very bad at, like, these very specific deadlines, you know, down to the minute. Um, well, let me, then, let me tell you, it's like, you know, I don't put any work stuff in here. So, like, the things that I have in due right now is, like, to get up and, and stretch every few hours uh, to text my mom every day and to do the washing up. They're the only things that are currently in due, and I add mm. things here or there, but they're the stuff that I have repeating. Like, there's no quote-unquote tasks in there, you know? Yeah, but I do those anyway. You know how much I speak with my mom. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, but this is like me. So this is the game of, like, I want to be the first person to send the text message, right? Like, this is the thing with my mom. Love you, mom. You're not listening, but I love you. But, like, if I get the message in first, it's important rather than she contacts me and it's like, oh, so you still alive? You know what I mean? Like, so you're 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 fine then, are you over there? So got to get that message in, can't forget. So, like, I have that reminder every day. But, yes, I've been around you. It's inescapable. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, and I don't really have anything other than, you know, the, yeah, I guess get up every couple of hours and stretch, but that's, that's, well, I also have my medicine mostly... in here. Cause like, if I don't take, if I don't have a reminder for my pills in the morning, I will forget them, even though I take them twice a okay. day, every single day. So like, who's an old man now? Huh? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Me. I have, I have my medicine in, in it too. And I feel very lucky. I don't have any medicine to take. Well, although I've had my fair share of medicine. I was going to say, so you, you've done your penance. It kind of compensates for that. <laughs> of the three of us, I would have assumed you would definitely have medicine. I'm actually, I think that's really great to hear that you don't. Mm. No, man. I'm totally free. Totally drug free. Do you want some pills? Do you want very some? Very nice. <laughs> I've got some extras. I, if can, you need I them. can mail you some. <laughs> no, I'm I'm good. Uh, but yeah, it sort of compensates for before. So yeah, I totally get it. It makes sense for medicine. Yeah, you took all your pills, right? Like all the pills you're ever going to have to take, you've taken them many, already. Many, <laughs> many, many of them. I think that's how that works, right? You just did yeah. them all at once. I did it before. <laughs> oh dear. So anyway. Pricing? Yeah, pricing. So how this is working is that the app, the Mac app is a separate $15 purchase from mm-hmm. the iOS and iPadOS version. I think a lot of developers are doing this, right? Even in the age of Catalyst. And I don't know, I don't think this is built on Catalyst. It doesn't, I don't think it is. It doesn't look like it is. 
I can't imagine it would be because it doesn't look anything like the iPhone app. So that's I have no complaints about that separate Mac app. That's totally cool. Um, after that, it's ten dollars a year, uh, and if you stop paying, basically any future up uh, any updates that you've gotten through the subscription will remain available. So you're paying for sort of updates, you know, future mm, features. Ah, this is the sketch model, right? Uh, yeah, where you 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 keep. Yeah, like you maintain access to what you paid for, but the new stuff you don't get, which I also think Working Copy uses on iOS. The iOS Do app, by the way, has a similar thing. It's six ninety nine and then five dollars a year. I actually say so I think this is quite an interesting model. Like I think it it's it's I'm I'm cool with it really. It's um, not bad. Yeah, it's it's feel. I mean, I don't I don't feel you're right. Like. Sketch would be the the big player who does this, but it's an interesting it's an interesting uh, proposition, I would say. I guess it can get a little tricky if you um, stop paying and then a few months later or like a couple of years later you decide to subscribe again. Uh, it can get complicated to keep track of like this timeline. It does feel complicated. It does feel complicated. I mean, from a development perspective, I bet this adds in a lot of, of it, like complication. But like checking, like all the things that you paid for before, because there's got to be so many lines drawn, right? Exactly. Where, exactly. Like, now you consider this as part of the purchase, and this as part of the in-app purchase. But I'm coming to it a year after I've purchased. How do I get all of? The- it seems complicated. Yeah. It's definitely easier to say, look, it's $10 a month. You, either you like it or not. Um, but yeah, it's it's nice to have this, uh, you know, some apps trying something different from the usual subscription stuff. Also, I think Agenda probably does this. Um, so it's, it is semi-popular uh, in among indie developers, I would say. Yeah. It's an interesting model, for sure. I'm trying to work out what the point of the model is right so like what is the thinking that like you're still making people pay you and you still want a subscription because it is the best model for you as a developer to get that revenue Mm -mm. but you're trying to stop people from getting mad at you by saying you don't have to pay me except the one time i think there's a part of the, the 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 problem that it's trying to solve is the idea that that you're renting software so they're trying to say the things you paid for, you own them. So those features are yours. Right. And if you stop paying, it's not like we need to kick you out of the house. Mm. You can keep those features. I, I guess that's the primary point here. It's interesting, um, right? Because it is a business model which is created and is essentially the same as an for pay app turning into a subscription. Right. right. It's the same thing, but we're just doing it all up front. So rather than saying, oh, we're now a subscription company. If you want new features, you have to give me money every year, which is happening a lot, right? That that happened in Fantastical, and lots of people got upset Mm -hmm. because they thought, like, I've bought this once and it's mine forever. But it's the same outcome of, like, you give some amount of money and then get continuing features moving forward. But that's the proposition at first, right? Like everyone in theory should know, can know about it up front rather than it being like quote unquote a bait and switch, right? I guess that's like kind of the model. And it's different to some applications, say like a carrot weather where 
you get a subscription and it's for an additional feature set, but it doesn't mean you won't get any other new features. Right. It's quite confusing, isn't it? All this stuff. All, all this stuff to keep can track get of. Very confusing. Yeah. I would kind of like it if it was if everyone could just agree on one thing. But that's assuming <laughs> everyone could just chill. Yeah, well, yeah that too. Uh, but like that's assuming though that that it's there's a one size fits all to business models, which is just simply not the case. But uh, it seems like I just downloaded it. It also seems like the upgrade pass, which is what they're calling the net purchase, also unlocks more features. And so it's kind of a mix. I just think the. I mean, I agree. Like the business model should work for the developer. I think this one's fairly reasonable if not a little expensive but i think the wording is just a little confusing to people like you can have an app and you can have features behind it and yeah i don't know i agree with you it's a little messy around the edges i think potentially it is it is complex but clear if that makes sense right in the sense of like you get this this is what you get if you want more there's this but the complexity makes it hard to understand, even though they've added a clarity to it. Like that can, that kind of stuff can be difficult to explain. But yeah, it's it's an interesting business model for sure. Uh, last time on Connected Pro, I talked about using Notion to potentially categorize my Apple collection and inventory it. Uh, I did. I spent a little time putting some more things into it, and I, I think it's just. I don't think it's for me. Uh, <laughs> Both me and Federico on last week's Connected Pro told you that this was a bad idea. Yeah, but um, I had to experience to use it Notion to it was it was to use Notion to create a database which emulates the database you already have on your website, which is currently just a bulleted list mm-hmm. of all of the products that you have. Mm-hmm. But then you wanted to take Notion and embed it into your website, right? <laughs> I can't believe you thought that was a potential solution. Yeah, and it, it was just full of holes. Even just as like a simple level that I think Notion is a good tool to do this, but I just know you wouldn't like it. Yeah, I think that's where I've ended up. I, I like the way the pages can look. Like I went in and made little header images and I pulled fancy art for like each of the sections. But A, I could spend a lot of time fiddling with it and not actually doing work. Uh, but well, B, I think the the real problem I have is I, I want this data to be pretty flexible. I like to be able to get it in and out and like yes notion has export don't email me but it's not really what i want it's like how evernote has export too but like they'll export it in a way that you can't really use it <laughs> it does but you're gonna copy and paste 600 notes into apple notes yeah uh mm-hmm. so i don't really know what i'm gonna look at because i do want to do something more than just the list i have on 512 because there's other things i'd like to i'd like to have like i'd well, like to what, have them what? The model what name Notion would be good for is that you could drill down. So you could be like click into desktops, then you could click into Mac Pros, and then there's these Mac Pros. Like that kind of model, that kind of structure is is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and I, I built all of that and it was neat, but I'd like additional fields. And I again I could do all this in plain text, but I would like, you know. 12-inch iBook G4, and then the AppleCare name, you know, late 2005, and then maybe some specs about it or a notes field. So I could, like, I'd like this to be a more robust inventory system. Have you looked into any online wiki tools? Uh, that felt all, like, just the same amount of overhead that Notion would have. So sure. honestly, what I'm thinking right now is it may be as simple as something like a 
a Google Sheet with a tab for desktop, notebook, et cetera. And I could embed that if I wanted to, if people wanted to look through it or link to it in a read-only yeah. fashion. <laughs> Please don't embed anything on your website. I looked at, I thought about Airtable as well, but Airtable just no. does way more no. than what I need for this. So I'm not yeah. doing that. Why can't you just do a bunch of pages? Because I, I would just like the data to be a little more structured than it is. But still flexible. You can make it structured. You can make a bunch of pages, have a table of contents, and everything links to sub pages yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, anyways, we'll see where this goes. I think you should. I think you should have a wiki, like an actual wiki. That's or that, or that, because it's isn't it like open source and you can roll your own? Yeah, I could put it on the server that WordPress runs yeah. on and like have it as its own little thing. I think it should be a wiki. I could do it in iWeb. That's a bad could idea. Could do it in iWeb, probably. <laughs> Which would feel, you know, realistic. Yeah. Could iWeb make wikis? Mm-mm. I don't think so. Okay. Hmm. But I, I think a wiki is, is what you want here. Wiki. Everything else is 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 messy for, for what you're looking for. I think that's your, your best option. This episode of Connected is brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. Do you have a website? I know both of you do. I do. And does that website have a shopping cart or a registration form or a contact page? If you have those things in your life, then you need Pingdom because nobody wants their critical website transactions to fail. That means a bad experience for your users and could mean lost business if they can't hit that uh, you know, buy now button or get to that shopping cart page. But the good news is you can set up transaction monitoring with Pingdom. It will alert you when cart checkout forms and login pages are failing before they affect your customers and your business. Pingdom will let you know the moment any of these fail in whatever way is best for you. You can customize how you're alerted and who is alerted depending on the severity of the outage. Pingdom cares about your users having the smoothest site experience possible. And if disaster strikes, you'll be the first to know. It's super easy to get started with Pingdom. All you have to do is go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. And when you sign up, use the code CONNECTED at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and RelayFM. So quite literally, as we are recording the show right now, Tim Cook and Sundar Pichai, Jeff Bezos, and Mark Zuckerberg are participating in a hearing with the U.S. Congress House Antitrust Subcommittee. Um, each of the CEOs is being quizzed on various antitrust and anti-competitive issues. Like, it's happening right now. It ended up getting delayed by, like, an hour. So I think you know, I just checked while uh, Stephen was, was reading a Pingdom ad, and Tim Cook is beginning his portion, I believe, or is at least talking now. But, and honestly, like... I expect there's going to be an element of frustration to trying to follow along with these things as there always is, as you will have varying levels of of uh, technical know-how across the Congress people that are quizzing them. So what will come out of this hearing? I don't know. I mean, it could be of interest, and if it is, we'll follow up. But what I wanted to talk about right now is really the thing that's probably the most interesting thing to talk about, which is... Tim Cook's statement that he was going to make was published beforehand. All four CEOs had their... I believe they they actually have to submit them in advance, so they also published them. Apple published what looked to be a scanned PDF, which is very weird, um, but that's what they did. 
so it was published. And I wanted to go through a selection of quotes and talk about them. But I have a question that I want to ask maybe Stephen in advance to see if he knows the answer. Is it legal for Tim Cook to lie to Congress? If they're put under oath, then no, he, he cannot lie. I don't know if these hearings in particular were under oath. Maybe someone in the chat room who is watching this could tell us, but I believe they have to tell the truth. And can he, like, willfully misguide rather than lie? Like, tell a half-truth? I don't think so. I mean, I think I think the idea is you are here as a... Uh, as a trusted witness and you don't want to commit perjury and the the definition of perjury is you are not telling the entire truth okay well let's keep that in mind as we go through some of these statements shall we yeah i mean look i mean look yeah the, the people play the game right uh they go through and they answer the, what how they want to answer or they answer other questions that's really the thing that people do is they're asked a question and they just say something else so they're, they're confirming in the discord that they were sworn in okay because some of these statements are, are, are challenging if you look at them in that light. So I'm not saying they're lies, but they don't feel complete truth to me in some in some instances. All right, so I've picked out a selection of quotes uh, from from the statement that that Cook has given. So uh, after beginning with 500 apps, today the App Store hosts more than 1.7 million, only 60 of which are Apple software. Clearly, if Apple is a gatekeeper, what we have done is to open the gate wider. We want to get every app we can on the store, not keep them off. How do you feel about that statement? Uh, personally, I feel very weird about it. Okay. Um, because I don't really get the argument of comparing the total number of available apps from third-party developers on the store versus the 60 made by Apple, because there's a critical difference there. Um, Apple provides you with built-in apps for key tasks for your phone. And obviously, developers can make alternatives. However, the big issue there is that, yes, if you just run the numbers, there's a huge divide between 1.7 million and 60. However, the issue, I think the real issue here, and the reason why they're having this, uh, these discussions with Apple in the first place is Apple does not let you change the default app for a key tasks, like a key category. Uh, such as browsing the web or listening to music on your phone. It, they don't let you change the default option. So, yeah, it's only 60. However, those are very important. Um, and of those 60 app, apps, we can say 10 of them are crucial to the way that an iPhone operates. And also, what's even stranger in seeing this statement is how of those 60 apps... At the very least, four of, of them, App Store, Music, TV, and News, they come with the subscription service built in. So Apple Arcade, Apple Music, uh, Apple TV+, and Apple News+, Plus, that directly competes with alternatives from the App Store. <laughs> so there's a basically, like, this is a textbook conflict of interest right there, where the platform owner that makes the rules 
that third-party developers need to follow, it also competes with those uh, other developers directly on the App Store for similar products, for similar services. So essentially, the, the party making the rules is also putting others at a direct disadvantage. Because let me ask you, how many times have you seen Spotify or the Google Play Store or other competing services highlighted with emphasis on the App Store with like promotional banners saying, here's this great new Spotify feature. If it was an even competition, even if it was a fair competition, you would see equal promotion for all of those services. But it's not an equal competition because Apple is putting others at direct disadvantage in that you have this weird scenario where Apple makes the rules, others have to follow the rules, but oh, it just so happens that Apple also makes services that directly compete with those developers. I think Apple, or I think Tim is making two two points in one here, which I don't, which I think is trying to like maybe misdirect a little bit. So one is the the thing that you're talking about, which is how they're trying to say that that it's a free and open market because we only make sixty out of the one point seven million applications, which would be a very fair point if most of those applications were not pre-installed on the device, right? Like, which is not a thing that he's talking about here at all, right? Like, as you know, if if all of those applications were available like Facebook's apps or Spotify's apps are in the exact same way, then you could say that, like, this is level. But that's it's not the case. I mean, and also, I mean, I am a person who believes in kind of, like, capitalism, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I have views from socialism and capitalism in my own personal belief set. I am mostly okay with the idea of Apple and Google putting their own applications on the devices that they sell. Like... Just from like a basic level, I'm okay with that. There is a lot of wavy lines where things get complicated, but just like at a core level, I'm totally fine with the fact that Apple ships an email application, right? Doesn't bother me. I can choose to move off if I want to. And also the the second statement that Tim is making here is about saying whether Apple is a gatekeeper or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can understand what he's getting at here, right? That like, if they are a gatekeeper, it's a really big gate that they're operating, right? If 1.7 million applications are on the App Store, they're not they're not really key from the idea of like the question of will we allow your app on the store? Vast majority of the time that answer is yes, we will. Right? Right, it's about the re- I mean the problem is why he's in front of Congress is the restrictions placed on apps after they're allowed through the gate. Exactly, which we're going to get to. We're doing this piece by piece, right? And that is a very good point. But like, and, and this is this is again, it's like the smoke and mirrors that all of these CEOs will be trying to uh, to show here is like they're trying to take things piece by piece to build their case. So let's move on. When the App Store was created, the prevailing distribution options available to software developers at the time did not work well. Brick and mortar stores charged high fees and had limited reach. Physical media like CDs had to be shipped and were hard to update. Uh, I I like this because how many Mac customers bought all their software at Apple stores, like Apple brick and mortar stores? Like you were in this business, you're still in this business. <laughs> what this totally 
disregards is that lots of developers were able to host their software on websites. There were standardized mm-hmm. payment systems like um, uh, PayPal and, and plenty of others. You could just plug into your website and you could sell it directly to a consumer. And then you, you could email them when there was an update. You know, this... I never bought software on disks for my Mac from when I was a Mac user. I think the only thing I did was Office. I think Office is the only thing I ever bought on CD, other than like iLife and iWork, I guess. But yeah, if I needed like a, a FTP client or an RSS reader, I would just fire up Camino on my PowerBook and like go shopping around. And the reason I think this is particularly problematic is we're primarily talking about the iOS app store in this, but he compares it to what it was like for PCs and Macs, right? Like it's a, it's mm-hmm. a little bit of a a weird comparison, but it's something that, yeah, like, okay, yes, yeah, CDs weren't ever, weren't ever going to work for the iPhone. Something else had to be invented for the iPhone. What you did wasn't necessarily inevitable. Like it could have been another way. Yeah, like this is, so when I asked my question at first, this isn't what I consider to be the lie in his statement, which we will get to, uh, but this is one of the half-truths of completely ignoring the fact that people could and were downloading software and from still other do. places. People and still, still do, do it on today. Still do on the Mac. And th- this idea that, like, well, the only way it could have been done on the iPhone was if there was an app store, like it was some organic solution. Right. Right, where, like, there there was possibility to do it in another way. I mean, we could have still sold physical CDs that you had to plug in via, like, a cable and put in a CD mm-hmm. drive, right? Like, th- this idea that the App Store is better because it's not a brick-and-mortar store, it's like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, that, it really, like, this point is, is, is very classic, like, misdirection mm-hmm. on the part of Tim Cook and Apple. And, like, we didn't talk about it because it was just really annoying and I was just waiting for this, but there was that whole study that they published, like, a week or so ago where they were talking about, like, all of this stuff and trying to say how much of a better deal uh, the App Store is because people don't have to pay to put their stuff in into stores like it's it's i'm sorry like it's it doesn't work out it's not true and especially when you look at companies like panic and rogue amoeba mm-hmm. who are successful software businesses today that sell their stuff for the mac but cannot make or have not been able to make by their own admission an ios based business work for them right both of those companies have had ios apps that they no longer make because the economics didn't work out. iOS versions of Mac software. So like a, a market where they can set their own rules can work for them. Mm-hmm. Where they have to work within Apple's rules, they cannot make it work financially for them. Yeah. So to say that this is the only way and that it's the best way isn't necessarily true. And it's very frustrating to see Apple continually talking about this idea where the uh, where buying software digitally doesn't exist. It's it's really frustrating me now because it they keep doing it, mm-hmm. and it is smoke and mirrors completely. And and I find it frustrating. Federico, what do you think about this point? Yeah, I really also I I also don't get it. It feels very disingenuous maybe to say this is the only way that we can do this when you have 
so many examples of not just in the past and not just um, from your other platform, but right now at this very moment from other platforms like Android, for example, um, showing all the different ways that you can that you can install apps digitally um, without necessarily having the single gatekeeper, the single marketplace as the only solution. And also, if you want to be really technical about it, um, on on iOS itself, you. Apple has right now systems to install apps without the App Store, such as TestFlight, such as um, installing um, corporate enterprise. apps, yep. enterprise apps uh, via certificates that prove the, the point wrong. So this is totally your decision to make the App Store the only marketplace for consumers. It is not a truth that exists on mm -hmm. its own. It's something that you decided. So it's I really hope that they question Tim Cook about this one because this is something that you thought should be the only way. It's not necessarily and technically the only way. The the thing that I think about in hearing that is the iTunes Music Store. The App Store was based on the Music Store in the beginning. Like even in like iTunes Connect, there were like weird music fields for years when you went to go upload an app. Yeah, they looked the same. They worked the same way. And I wonder how much of that has influenced the app store even beyond that initial reach, right? That they they saw music as this way to have a central store. You could buy music. It was all integrated from the store to iTunes to your iPod. And they saw that and they looked at the phone like, oh, well, let's just take these lessons and apply them to the phone. Whereas in another timeline, the music store wasn't here and they were starting from scratch. I'm not positive they would have ended up in exactly the same place. Like, Interesting. That history, I think, had, at least in the early days, a huge influence on how this worked. It may have been uh, a different... Well, it would have been a different Apple, right? Like, to follow your thinking, where it, they may have not been coming at this from such a position of strength that the music store and the iPod had allowed them to be. I mean, we are assuming that they even would have made the iPhone, which they wouldn't. But nevertheless, like... I would have, in that alternate timeline that you're talking about, it would have been much more likely to assume that there would be a more Mac level of software, right? Where, like, yeah, maybe. You, you could get it from multiple places. All right, I want to move on. Okay. This one's important. The App Store guidelines ensure a high-quality, reliable, and secure user experience. They are transparent and applied equally to developers <laughs> of all sizes and in all categories. There is your lie. Yes, yeah, that's true. a lie, right? Yeah, I mean there are special deals they've cut with big companies, mostly around content deals. There are also thousands of examples, right, of these rules not being transparent, yeah. these rules not being easy to understand. Well, but also public ones. Like, hey, going back a few weeks ago. Yeah, that's, and, and that's, that's really my bigger point. We hear about a few. How many yeah. small developers with no mm. Twitter following, with you know, aren't on podcasts, go through this and we never hear about them? Right. Yep. It's it's the few that I that to me make me wonder about the many. And it's it's not clear. Apple changes things. They're not clear on when they change things. They were I mean, it's ancient history now, but when they launched the App Store, the entire platform was under an NDA. Developers yeah. couldn't talk to each other at all. And they lifted that in two thousand eight. That's a long time ago. But if you go back and read uh, 
in that time, I have a link in the show notes about this. They said, you know, people have stolen our work from us in the past, and we thought an NDA was important to protect that. And I think Apple, even today, views itself as this company that's way smaller and way less powerful than it is, and they make decisions based out of that, and developers are stuck holding the bag. You know that the way that they get out of this one, it's semantics. They didn't say the App Store rules. They said the App Store guidelines. They said the guidelines are transparent and applied equally. The guidelines are essentially the human interface guidelines, or in this case, the App Store guidelines. They're not the rules. They're not the contract that you sign as a developer. They're not the, the part that um, describes fees and commissions. Say app store guidelines, and by guidelines they mean oh we want to ensure that apps are well designed and uh, there's an app. What about the review guidelines though? Well, they said app store. Like that's I think that's what we're talking about here, right? Is the review guidelines by keeping the language as vague as possible, they can make this statement. The app store guidelines. What are the app store guidelines? They can be anything, right? But let's assume that like. We know what this should mean, right? And we know what he is inferring to, or like, if if you're correct, what he's inf- appearing to infer to is the review guidelines. Like that is what we call like the App Store guidelines. You could be completely correct that they could be like, well, we were talking about the Hig, right? Mm-hmm. Like or whatever. But if if we take it at what it's meant to mean. Right, which is the review guidelines. This is not true. It's not true to say they are applied equally to developers of all sizes and in all categories. This is just categorically untrue because there are cases where applications are put under different levels of scrutiny and decisions can be made but that next application down the road has to go down the same thing. This is happening in the public right now, right? We had, hey, they had mm. to go through this hey. whole thing with Apple and they got through. Then there was this report about Airbnb and companies that have moved that were like coaching and fitness companies. This was like a report in the New York Times, I think, this week, where like Apple was like systematically going through to each one of them and having making them go through some sort of process. Like if you have to do that, they are not being applied equally, are they? Because you would just make a ruling and that's it. Right? Like I just it is not accurate to say that these guidelines are applied equally to, quote, developers of all sizes and all categories. It's just not the case because a developer who's small enough and gets caught up in this new thing where Apple says to you, hey, you've made money you've made money, and we've never asked for it before. If you're not big enough, you will not get to fight it out with them like Hey did, like Basecamp did. You just won't get that. So that's not fair and equal, is it? Like it just isn't. And... So much of this I really don't like. Like, I am a almost at this point like lifelong Apple fan, right? And my understanding of who they are as a company is not this company. This is Microsoft in my mind, right? Like the company who's doing this stuff, and they have to go and sit in antitrust and anti-competitive. Like, do you you guys following me? Like, this just feels so wrong to me for what I think Apple is. 
that we are even having to have these conversations where we're picking apart Tim Cook's statement. Yeah, I agree. It's it's an uncomfortable position to be in, and it's totally a self-own on their part because, again, they came up with this whole system. All right. For the vast majority of apps on the App Store, developers keep 100% of the money they make. The only apps that are subject to a commission are those where the developer acquires a customer on an Apple device and where the features or services would be experienced and consumed on an Apple device. What does this even mean? What? What does the majority of apps developers keep 100% of the money they make mean? Aren't most apps free within that purchase? See, I also think that this is another situation where we are either dealing with A, a lie, or B, a intended misdirection. Now, I was thinking this, and, and, and I was uh, listening to Dithering today, and John Gruber and Ben Thompson also made this point as well. If we're saying money... That's probably true. Mm -hmm. For the vast amount of money made on the App Store, developers keep it because that's your companies like Netflix who do not use Apple's in-app purchase, Amazon, right? But there's no way that the vast majority of apps on the App Store, developers keep 100% of the money they make (laughs) unless you're also including free apps and saying Uh. they make money through advertising. Like, Mm. this statement is like, 12 levels of obtuse. Yeah. Right? I love the the part where they say the only apps that are subject. <laughs> like, oh yeah, the only apps, just about a million of them. <laughs> the only apps that are yep. subject to a commissioner. Those Literally the any app that wants are, to charge someone on your platform because you make, won't allow them to charge people in any other way. They make it sound like such a such a rare instance yeah. where the developer acquires a customer on an Apple device, meaning uh, when you use an in-app purchase, which is like... I mean, because that's also not true, right? Where like you could be a customer from another platform, <laughs> right? But now you're using an Apple device. So, well, now I have to go through their system to get, to get whatever it is that I want, right? Like Kindle. If I own a Kindle... I want to buy a Kindle book. Like, yeah, I you don't make any money because you won't allow Amazon to take money any other way. They you cannot do it in the Kindle app, right? Like, yeah, the the, the levels of like that tying themselves up into knots to make these statements is just like so uncomfortable to me. The only absurdness. Apple's commissions are comparable to or lower than commissions charged by the majority of our competitors. And they are vastly lower than the 50 to 70% software developers paid to distribute their work before we launched the App Store. Okay, this one is just perfect. Uh, because first I would like to know where this 50 or 70% uh, comes from. Seriously. And also you're comparing essentially life in 2020 to life in the 1990s when the App Store did not even exist. So it's not... <laughs> This that really doesn't make any sense to me. First of all, it's really not a good look to say, oh, we're charging 30% because look at what Google and Amazon are doing. They're, we're not the bad guys. They were just following their lead. Yeah, I mean, of course, when you were first and set the price, which is 30%. <laughs> you were first and set the price. Who was going to say, who was going to charge more than you? Right, exactly. So 
first you say we invented the app store <laughs> but then when it comes to the commissions you're saying but no look look at the other folks we're doing the same we're like mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> i don't know i feel like we should be doing the questioning not u.s politicians the po- yes no. agreed <laughs> <laughs> tech podcasters should be in charge of this yeah like, it's it just i hate all of it right like and most of the time and i always i mean i always can ultimately separate the political side of apple and the part that i love yeah, right it's in the same sure. way that i spent a lot of i don't even know if it was this year anymore being angry about what cook was doing for trump right yes like that upset me and angered me yes. but i could still separate it and i can still do the same here i think i'm just frustrated about the fact that i have to because you know, I think you can make an argument like for for a, a lot of the companies, even the companies that Apple is sitting up against there with today, about kind of like how much money do you need, right? How much money do you need as a company? Now, a lot of Apple's competitors, they don't have the profit levels that Apple has. They don't have the cash on hand that Apple has. So there's an argument that they can make of like, well, we need to make all this money and be so ruthless because we have to pay our people and run our business, right? But Apple makes so much money, right? They have, I don't know, they have, they have like billions, trillions of cash in the bank now. Like, how much more money do you need to actually make, right? Like, how much more do you need? And And I know that there's this whole question of like, and I get it, right? Because we're going to talk about this Tomorrow, with the earnings, Apple has a responsibility to their shareholders, right? Like, I understand all of that. But there's just this, like, real com- like conflict of, like, do you really have to push developers for this 30% the way that you do? Like, how much of your bottom line is that? I don't know. This is so complicated. And this statement, it just made me so angry when I mm-hmm. read it. Um, that I'm happy that you to allowed me to pick it apart. Yes, um, I also have a very difficult time trying to separate disagreeing with the with the company that otherwise I really like because I like their products uh, uh, on uh, on this kind of stuff, you know, political stuff and you know antitrust matters. Because like I really like my phone and I really like. Uh, using apps and I make my living on this stuff but also I fundamentally disagree with a lot of these things so it's you know really complex feelings going on right now essentially Um, I mean I I agree with you but I think that's good right I think people who pledge allegiance to any of these companies and just agree with everything they say or do like you've gone you've gone too far right it's these are corporations they don't really care about us, and they are extremely multifaceted, right? I think Apple makes the best tech products in the world. That's why I use them and why I talk about them for a living. Do they do things in politics and with the environment that I love? Absolutely, more than ever. Yes. yes. But then it comes to this and other antitrust issues, and all the big tech companies have you know, guilt on their heads over this stuff. And that is, uh, I think, in a way... It may be an inevitable side effect of companies being this big, right? If you talk about breaking up companies, I don't know how you break up Apple. I mean, it's easier to think about that with other companies, like Facebook has to get rid of Instagram and WhatsApp, 
Amazon has to divorce the store and AWS. Uh, you know, I don't know how you would split up Apple, but I do think there are things Apple can, could, and should do to alleviate some of these issues. I think that there are steps forward they could take to make this more tenable for developers and for users. Because a lot of this stuff is is anti-user, right? When you download the Netflix app and it doesn't do anything, you have to like figure out to go out on the web and sign up and give them your credit card when it'd be way easier just to tap the button in the app and sign up. And you get the benefit of things like Apple Pay or the App Store subscription or sign in with Apple. All those things that make your account safer and better, you can't have because Apple wants their 30%. And Mm -hmm. if Netflix were to play ball, and they used to do this, uh, as did others, it was 30% more expensive to do it in the app than on the web because some developers just pass that cost along. All that is bad for customers. All that's bad for developers. And turns out Apple needs those people if they want to keep making that cash. I may be wrong about this, and I want to revisit what I'm about to say, maybe in a couple of years, since see if I got it right or not. But I have a strong feeling that this is not going to go well for these companies. Mm-mm. I just feel like, historically speaking, whenever the U.S. government or in the also the European Union they start having these conversations, right? These hearings about monopoly and antitrust. I feel like the deal is pretty much done. And I feel like this story is going to go in one direction and it's not going to end up well. Well, yeah, we're at the point now where it's just how bad. Exactly. Yes. Right. Because this is what Microsoft went through, right? Like it starts, it starts now, right? Because, and it's a similar thing. If they don't get you here, they'll get you in Europe. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. someone's going to get you. That's what I think. Something is just how bad is it going to be for you? Realistically speaking, how much you're going to have to change the way that your operating system works or that your um, distribution um, network, uh, your marketplace works. And in the case of Facebook, how bad is it going to be for your executives and the way that you essentially what what they uh, the Verge was able to obtain emails uh, about the Instagram acquisition, uh, they said neutralize a potential competitor. So how bad is it going to be uh, for for the, those people in charge? But something I just feel like something's going to happen. It's not like we can have the conversation uh, uh, saying, oh, but yeah, they're going to have these hearings and nothing is going to come out of this, either in the U.S. or in the Euro- with the European Union something will change just how much that's what i personally feel like well let's talk about some possible things that could change we're not regulators we're not lawyers we're just enthusiasts Um, but we came up with a couple things that we thought apple could either be forced to do or they could do voluntarily to get on everyone's good graces i think the first obvious probably easiest one is take the 30 percent cut that they take and cut it in half, 15% mm-hmm. for everything off the bat. Right now, if you have a subscription after the one-year mark, it's 15%, which is a good change, right? It's it, it's a good change. But 30% for in-app purchases, first-year subscription, upfront paid apps, which is you know a smaller and smaller number, at least on iOS, that should all be 15%. Yeah. I think that we, they would lose money, yes, but I think they would also gain some money, right, from companies that they could maybe woo back at 15%. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, like, let's imagine that they lost $15 billion, 
mm-hmm. in a year or whatever. They can look. It's a lot. It's a lot of money, right? Don't think it's that much money to Apple. I just don't. You know, like what do they make? Like ninety billion a quarter. If they lost ten percent a quarter, they would still be turning profits. Like, and again, it's like yeah, it's a lot of money. You might make some of it back up in revenue. But if this is the type of thing that might get the regulators to leave you alone, maybe that's a good thing to do, right? Like, maybe it is better for your company in the long run if you can do something that stops people from looking at you as a as an anti-competitive company. It feels like it's probably mm-hmm. a good idea. And that's that's tangled up with the fact that this is services revenue. It is a growing part of their business. In their quarterly earnings, which you mentioned are this week on July mm-hmm. 30th, that is the area of growth that Wall Street looks at. And they yes, would be This is why they that. won't do it. Yeah. And this is also why they have become increasingly tough on this point, especially over the last couple of years, because they need to show growth in this area for multiple reasons now, because it's their only growth area and also because Apple's doing more in services and because they don't break it out. If they have a decline because they reduce this, people might say, oh, well, Apple TV's not doing very well either then. So that this is, I know why they're doing it. As you say, right? Like we know why they're doing it, but is it the right thing to do? That's the question. So up next, I had all apps should have the ability to take external payment solutions for subscriptions in their app without Apple taking a cut. So Netflix, you could sign in directly, pay Netflix with your credit card outside of Apple system. I think it should be an option that you use Apple system. I think that'd be nice because a lot of us would like to use Apple Pay or run it through iTunes. But this distinction they have around reader apps where you have to have an outside paid you know, membership of some sort, that's all really messy. It's bad for customers. And I think that it could really help them bring back those big players like like Netflix and others. And look, if, if Netflix were to do this, and we're just using them as an example because everybody knows them. If you could pay in the app without 30% or 15% going to Apple, stick an Apple Pay button in there. You know what? I would probably use it and Apple will get a little percentage of that, right? They, they're not losing everything. But having users download an app that is basically an empty shell until they go out to the internet and pay for something is just a bad, bad user experience. Yeah, I think the struggle with that one, though, is then just so many companies won't use Apple at all, right? And then they'll... I mean, I, I mean, this is, again, where it's whether it's right or wrong or whether they should just do it, but, like, that, it's tricky, but I think it should be a thing that can be done. Yeah. So... I don't have to jump through a million hoops when I download applications. Because mm-hmm. as you say, it's a bad user experience. And which do you prefer, money or user experience? Yeah. And my ideas go from the smallest change to the biggest change, which we'll get to. So I understand this one is vastly more complicated and more risky from a business perspective. So I agree with you. Like, why wouldn't it just everyone go build a web server that could take payments through, right? That's an easy thing to do. And you could save yourself some trouble. The last one I had was sort of the the nuclear option. Allow third-party apps via side-loading or even other app stores. Apple's not going to do this of their own free will. 
I think even if they were told to do it by the governments of the world, they would fight it. But it is sort of the ultimate fix for this. Okay, if you don't like the App Store policies or rules, go to this part of your phone, do this thing, and have at it. And I guess really if the the people doing the 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 questioning would be a little more tech savvy, they could ask about why it's possible on a Mac to have something like Gatekeeper, which is also quite the funny name given the circumstances. <laughs> uh, why you can have something like that technology on the Mac but not have it on the phone, where you can still if your argument is the App Store is the 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 only um, distribution service on for iPhones because it is secure. Then does it mean that your computers are not secure, or does it mean that on the Mac you found a way to make it work with uh, you know notarization and all those technologies that allow developers to distribute apps outside of the App Store, but then you don't want to do it on on the iPhone because it's in your best. Uh, financial interests not to uh, have that technology or is there any other reason uh, I don't expect you had to, to to see any of these questions uh, at today's hearing but it is an argument worth considering sideloading is not this wild idea when you consider how the same company makes computers that have an app store and that have a secure site loading method based on gatekeeper and not, now since last year or a couple of years ago notarization uh, and we've seen that in effect when we've had problems uh, such as transmission the BitTorrent client that uh, was um, essentially compromised, and Apple, I believe, was able to pull the plug on that application via Gatekeeper. Um, so why not offer the same solution on on the App Store? I feel like this should be one of the questions, and I don't think it's totally like this wild theory because it's happening right now uh, on the Mac. The other App Stores that I believe is never going to happen, right? Apple is never going to allow the Google Play Store or the Amazon App Store Unless on the iPhone. Unless they're forced to. Unless they're forced to, but even even then, as Steven said, they would fight that. Oh, uh, of course they would, yeah. Much more, I believe, than if the European Union said uh, it's going to be mandatory for you to allow side-gloating, right? Um, because I feel like that they could probably figure out to bring Gatekeeper to iOS. Yeah, and also uh, fill it with warnings, you know, mm. right? Like, like right. they do on Catalina, uh, right? Like, it, it's it. They can make it a possible thing, but not a great experience, which I'm okay with. Uh, exactly. But yeah, the idea of them them bringing being told like, oh, Google's now allowed to put the Play Store Mm-mm. and distribute <laughs> whatever applications they want, like. They're going to have a big problem with that. And they would have good reason to have a big problem with it. But, you know, uh, if you play the game you're playing, you may end up in a situation where some court tells you that's what you're going to do. And that's that's the risk you've decided to take, right? So, so like, before we wrap this up, like, there's one... I was just checking. Uh, there was one thing that I saw, uh, maybe a little clarification about uh, the, the, the money point. Cook says the majority of apps, 84% are paid no money. The rest are on the 70-30 or 85-15 revenue split. Cook insists Apple doesn't bully developers. Okay. Hmm. Well, yeah. Most apps don't use it, but 
if they but you also make it's so weird this whole thing is so weird i'm intrigued to see how this the result of all of this like once it's concluded today um but honestly i feel like the points that we have made today are the exact same points that we would have made even if we had recorded this episode tomorrow like i don't think we'd feel any differently about this whole thing this episode of connected is brought to you by squarespace Make your next move with Squarespace. It lets you easily create a website for your next idea with unique domain name, award-winning templates, and more. Maybe you need to create an online store or host a portfolio, write a blog. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do all of those things. And there's nothing to install. There are no patches to worry about. No upgrades are needed. You don't have to worry about that stuff because Squarespace has it covered. If you run into any questions, they have excellent 24-7 customer support. If you need a domain name, they'll let you quickly and easily grab one, and all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. I spoke a few months ago about building a website for the parent-teacher organization for my kids' elementary school, and they have uh, launched a store. So we've got some various and sundry uh, school supplies and shirts and stuff, and it was all really easy to manage that. I could hook it up right to their payment processor of their choice, upload some images, and Really straightforward to get a store up and running. Squarespace plans start just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com connected. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code connected to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain name and to show your support for the show. Once again, that's squarespace.com connected and the code connected to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for their support of the show and Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Let's talk about the stuff that we love to talk about, which is Apple product releases. So according to some apparently notable product leakers on Twitter, I don't, I'm not familiar with these accounts, but mm. there are so many accounts these days that leak things to varying yeah. levels of success that is at least worth talking about. Uh, this was compiled by um, an analyst firm, Seeking Alpha, and they went through and pulled all this stuff together, and it basically talks of three dates at which Apple will be releasing products between okay. now and the end of the year. It includes various products that we are expecting them to release. Um, this... I don't know if this necessarily talks about announcement dates or product launch dates, both or either, right? Like, it doesn't really seem to... I can't really draw a conclusion as to which is which, you know? Like, when might they announce something? When might they release something? But it at least kind of gives a potential roadmap for what we might see through the rest of the year. And by and large... I think it makes sense. So let me go through the dates and we can stop and talk about each of these products in turn where we're interested. August 19th. So it's a couple of weeks away. New iMac is one of them. So the there are varying levels of, of rumor about this iMac. Some say it's brand new. Some say it looks like the old one. Some say it's Intel. Some say it's Intel with Apple Silicon or a combination or none of them. It's not a combination. I can promise not you a that. Combination. I think that this is a spec bump to the Intel iMac as we know it. It's been the mm -hmm. same since 2012. Um, I wrote about that on Mac Stories. Federico didn't read it, but it's it's on the site. And 
I, I just read it if it was on my website. I just <laughs> don't see them like coming out of the gates with the new iMac design, and there's a new Apple Silicon iMac around the corner. I think this is going to be the holdover. I expect it to kind of be the last Intel iMac, I think. And so I, I wouldn't get too excited about a new design. Um, but while I was talking about the iMac, so I, I looked into these Twitter accounts and they get some stuff right, but there's also some like really dumb stuff in here. So one of these tweets says, this person also said the August iMac would be in memory of Steve Jobs. Uh-uh, they said in memory of Steve Job. Steve Job. Oh, well, who knows who that is? But um, <laughs> the ninth anniversary of Jobs stepping down as CEO is next month. Like, A, you don't do anything for the ninth anniversary of anything. B, Apple doesn't really do anniversaries hardly at all unless they're making fun of old products to sell new ones. And C, even if this was true, why would it be the last Intel Mac? Like, if they're going to make a <laughs> Steve Jobs anniversary computer. So here's what I will say on this. Here's what I will say on this. These two things can be true, that the product comes out and it's on that day, but they don't have to be related, right? But why memory of Steve Jobs, though? I don't really get it. Like, of all things, right? Of all things you could celebrate, like <laughs> the iPhone 10 or whatever, like a spec bump for the, the iPhone. The last Intel chip in the Mac. In on the ninth anniversary, not, not not the tenth anniversary, not, not the anniversary even of the his death. One. It's just a random yeah. date for yeah. a random computer. Uh -huh. like, it's not really a nice gesture when you think about it. It's, it's kind of a slam. <laughs> you got us in this Intel mess. We're gonna name the last one after you, buddy. Finally, <laughs> <laughs> out from under the tyranny of Steve Jobs. Do I think it's possible there will be a new iMac in August? I do think that that is possible, right? Like, yeah. Do I think that it will have a new design? I mean, honestly, personally, uh, the jury's not out on that one for me. Like, why? Why would they do it on the last Intel iMac? Because it might just be what they have ready. Like they did it the last time. I'm not saying that that's a reason to do it. They added an eyesight camera do it. the previous time. Right, but... I mean, it's, not a, a re it's not a redesign in the sense that the current iMac is eight years old and needs, like, an overhaul to match the Pro Display XDR. I don't know. I just don't see it. We can move on, though. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I just got mad. I'm not saying it's a definite. It's just more that, like, if it happened, I would be like, oh, that's really cool. But I wouldn't be like, what? Right? Like, you know, I would just be like, yeah, the IMAX looked the same forever. It's about time they changed it. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, I don't know, though, right? The, another thing that this wasn't in there, but it has been news that I thought was interesting. Uh, the 5K display, the OG 5K display is now sold out in the US. I mentioned, I think I may have mentioned the show. I tried to get one of these um, in the UK and couldn't like weeks ago. Uh, and now you can't get the 5K displays. Hmm. Now, if Apple was going to do a new display and launch it alongside the iMac, mm -hmm. they're not going to make a display if the display matches that looks like the current iMac, right? Yeah. Because that would be very weird. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so if they are launching a new iMac and a new display at the same time, would they not, in theory, look the same and therefore maybe be a new design? Yeah, no, that's a that's a point in that column. I think another point is, I'm kind of assuming that the iMac will be 
one of the first machines because it's it doesn't sell as well as the notebooks. Clearly, notebooks outsell desktops by a mile. But I think the yeah, iMac. All of the rumors are talking about laptops and not the iMac, though. Right. So what I'm what I'm getting to is that the iMac is kind of like the flagship Mac, even though it's important to Apple. If the iMac is still a year and a half off, well, they could get an Intel iMac out the door and maybe that design have a little more time on the shelf before it moves to Apple Silicon. But if it's a year and a half off, couldn't they also do the redesign? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like they could they could do the redesign if it's a year and a half off, if it's ah, three sorry, months yeah. off. So I don't know. I, I don't know. Anyways. So so who know right? Who knows? I, I still think that there is more question around this iMac. Like I don't feel like it's a done deal yet. Um in in my mind. August nineteenth also AirPod Studio. Okay. You have my attention. Could happen. I actually could imagine this happening not with the iPhone. Yeah. Right? Where, like, logically you might say to yourself, oh, they would want to unveil this alongside the iPhone. But if these are, like, $400 headphones, maybe you don't want to. Yeah. Right? Like, because I, I don't know if it's necessarily like, oh, hey, every iPhone owner, buy a set of these. Because I, I, I really don't think that's what this product is. To to further this this point, like, apparently this date, August 19th, would also see a new HomePod and a HomePod Mini. Now, AirPod Studio, HomePod 2, and HomePod Mini, I can imagine those all coming together. There's three questionable audio purchases, right? <laughs> like, really, who should buy any of them? Uh, so it kind of makes sense to put them all together. Um what do you guys think about that? An AirPod Studio. Also, what is a HomePod 2? What is a home what is a HomePod 2? Uh maybe they, they didn't mean HomePod 2, but HomePod 2. Like do, do they have updates <laughs> for the, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I can imagine a HomePod mini happening mm-hmm. before okay. the second edition of okay. the HomePod. Sure. Right? Sure. But like, what would you put in in a second version of a HomePod? I have no idea. I mean, like, a look, display? you could always say like, Maybe "Hey, display. we made it sound better," but like, really, is there any point? Uh, exactly. Like, it already sounds pretty good, and they did the whole thing with the spatial audio before. Like, it's mm-hmm. is there even a need for a better sounding HomePod? I don't really think that sound is the problem. Uh, so maybe a cheaper version, or maybe a version like if you want to go in a completely different direction, maybe a display, maybe a HomePod that you know you can you can put on a nightstand uh, that has a bit more information displayed on a screen. M- maybe it's that right, something completely different because the current one uh, didn't really work out well for them. Uh, but I have no idea. I think of all these. The most interesting one, of course, is the AirPods Studio, uh, because I really f- feel that Apple has an opportunity here to go after the same market uh, of you know people um, purchasing Beats headphones, but with the AirPods brand, which you could argue that in 2020 has much wider recognition than Beats, honestly. Yeah, at this point. Yeah, I think that uh, of these products, the AirPod Studio is clearly the, like the that would be the success product um, of these, right? Like even yeah. of a HomePod Mini, because still, like a HomePod Mini, like what is that product doing? 
It's a HomePod that sounds worse and does even less. It sounds like a dream product. <laughs> just what I wanted. Right? It's just, look, it's just what I was looking for, a worse HomePod. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and, I, and I like the idea personally of a HomePod of a screen. Carl's freaking out in the chat room because he thinks that he's seen the Matrix, that they'll put widgets on it, which, like, I mean, yeah, that could make sense. I do not... They'll only be down the left-hand side. ...foresee Apple making a HomePod with a screen on it. Like, that's, that's a good joke. I like that one. But I just... I don't see it happening I, I, for the time Look, being. We don't even have... We don't have, we don't even have real widgets on iPad. <laughs> Imagine on a yeah, HomePod. Yeah, th- that uh, seems like a, like a great idea, but... Um, like a very optimistic idea. Seems like a lot... It's like a lot of product development to put into a product which isn't done very well. Yeah. I think seems like it seems like a tad too much. All right, so we move on to September eighth. Oh no! <laughs> Why does it have to be September eighth? <laughs> Why can't it be September twenty eighth? Like, iPhone twelve. No. iPhone twelve being shown off September eighth. I mean, if it was shown off on September eighth, no. I would be surprised if it still came out in september like i I really do not think we are getting a new iphone released this side of october right please, i don't please. think it's going to happen i would be intrigued to be proven wrong i would like to be proven wrong i would like my iphone sooner always right uh but i i don't know i don't want it sooner i want it as late as possible but what year. i'm gonna say which i hate to say federico is that they show off the new iPhone because between September 8th and October 8th, iOS 14 comes out. No. <laughs> okay. Right? That uh... like the only reason I can imagine you would show you would have an event that early is if iOS comes out before it's, it's coming out still in September. Otherwise, like if it's not coming out in October, why would you have the event on September eighth? Right? Like, surely you don't want to destroy your iPhone sales for a three week period. That's a lot of money, even at that time of year. But I don't know. Right? I don't know. What? I mean, uh, maybe it's not September eighth. Maybe that's as simple as that. Maybe it's not September 8th. Maybe they have one iPhone to sell on September 12th, right? Or whatever. Like, you know, they they could stagger the line if they're going to have four of them. They might have done that anyway. Uh, So who knows? But coloring, this has been a thing. People wanted a blue iPhone last year. Apparently, we could get a blue iPhone this year replacing the green. I can see that, and I would like that. Yeah, this was rumored back... In the lead-up to the Midnight Green phone, I think? It was. It's been around yeah. forever. But yeah, I think they're going to just keep turning over the colors. I would love to know. They will never tell us. The breakdown of colors. Like, was the Midnight Green popular? I see a lot of the Midnight Green But is it one. because it was new? Like, would yeah, it be popular in the second year? I don't know. I have some real-time follow-up, guys. Uh, okay. I wouldn't interrupt you if this wasn't very relevant to what we just talked no, about. No, it's not very relevant. It's, the it's relevant. U.S. government has copies of email exchanges between um, Tim Cook offering contra- uh, contracts to oh. Baidu, the Chinese network, for something called a fast-track app approval, uh, <laughs> which d- d- doesn't line up with what they said. Oopsies! Oopsies! <laughs> oh, God. Oopsies! Wow. Oh, Timmy, it's so fair, isn't it, Tim? Oh. Uh, see? You bunch of liars. There's also one 
where Steve Jobs apparently suggests cutting off Joe Hewitt, who wrote the first Facebook iPhone app. He made critical comments about the App Store and Objective-C, and Jobs apparently wrote, I'd just suggest we cut Joe off from now on. Uh, anything Steve Jobs said, like I don't want to enter that into evidence personally, because it was such a long time ago. I mean, look, they're naming an iMac after him. You got to do something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like thanks steve <laughs> we're gonna name this imac after you now mm-hmm. but like that one is like yeah that's really bad but like also i don't know but this this was this tim cook in named in this this baidu thing mark gurman said this email chain shows tim cook offering contacts for baidu uh to fast track app approvals which doesn't line up with what all app developers being treated the same. Is Baidu the company that they invested in, the ride-sharing company? No, yeah. though, that had a different name. Was it Didi or something like Didi. that? Didi, yes, yes, Didi. Baidu is, isn't that a search company? I think. I don't remember. Oh, this is so good. <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> I mean, look, we we knew, right? Like logic dictated that this stuff happens all the time like because of course right like if i'm running this business i have people working on the facebook account to fast track app approvals but i also wouldn't lie about that right like i would say like yeah of course like are you wild of course we have that Literally every single person in the world has the facebook app installed on their phone we have to make sure their approval process goes okay it's logic. Well, it came out about the Uber app that they were doing the, what would they call it? It was Gray something was like the project name where they would do all of these things to like shadow ban users and tinker with ratings and all this stuff. And they had it mm-hmm. set up where the app would check its location. And if it was in Apple's campus where review happens, oh, those features yeah. wouldn't be there. <laughs> I and like, about that. Yeah, uh, Kyle just put a, a link in the in the chat room. It'll be I'll, in the show notes. I'll put it in the show notes. But it, I got uh, it in there. Mike put it in the show notes, everybody. Just, I want my attribution. Hey, Federico, Mike put it in the show notes. It, but and then like, there's this phone call, right? Like, uh, what's his name from Uber who got who got kicked out, and Tim Cook like have a phone call, and they get scolded. Like, Apple needs or at least wants the Uber app on the iPhone, and so they're willing to to play games where if a small app de- the argument was if a small app developer did this they would just be banned but because it's uber they get leeway and again if i am running apple if i'm tim cook i would run my business that way right i understand it but at the same time you got to say that's what you're doing and i feel like it's like it's it's a question of if the Facebook app got removed from the App Store, everyone would be super mad about it, right? But, like, you've got to be open. Uh, like, And, so, you know, you have a thing. It's like, if you have more than a million users, you are now in this tier. And anyone who has more than a million users can be in this tier. And, like, this is to make sure that applications with large user bases are have their users protected and keep their services running for people that depend on them. That doesn't sound wild, does it? Like, I, I just, I just, I despair. I despair. That yeah. was actually very relevant. Uh, yes. Real time follow up. I'm sorry that I doubted you, Federico. Yeah. I apologize. Yeah. I'm glad you learned your lesson. 
I did what? learn it. Wow. I did learn it. I feel like I may learn another lesson through trusting you where now you'll jump in with something else, which is completely irrelevant. That's the thrill of knowing me, though, isn't it? <laughs> Anytime there could be a prank. That's right. Uh, also on September 8th, iPad. What's that going to be, do you think? I did some homework. The, uh, the last time the iPads were updated, mm-hmm. the iPad Mini and the iPad Air were March 2019. The regular iPad the cheap one, was September 2019, and then the Pro just got updated back in March, which feels like 100 years ago. Like, do you guys remember the iPad Pro got updated this year? Totally forgotten about Simpler, it. <laughs> simpler times. I remember because I have it. I think about it a lot. Like, oh, I bought that one, didn't I? I think <laughs> yeah. about it when I see the weird gap in the back of my keyboard case. But uh, So I, mm-hmm. I don't think it's the Pro necessarily. Generally, those are in October. They're not with the iPhone. Well, actually, the, the iPad Pro is listed later on in this list, right? Now, I would like a modern-designed iPad mini. That's what I want. Same. Yes, yes. me too. Uh, yes, Apple, if you're listening, and if you're planning on, on giving me any review units this year... Please, if you had to choose, <laughs> like, we can only give you one. I really want to get that iPad mini, and I really want to write about it, because I think it's such an interesting product. Like, I've been using my iPad mini so much over the past few months, like the old one with the home button. I have a lot of thoughts about it, and I cannot wait to to see an iPad mini that has a modern design and face ID and the whole, like, gestural um uh, engine for controlling the the interface like this ipad mini has grown so much on me over the past few months it, it really is up there with the ipad pro in terms of like my favorite apple devices i really 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 like it and uh there's a bunch of ways that it could improve and so i'm generally curious about what the next one could look like and could work like and like what kind of role could it fit in my life um so yeah honestly I'm, I'm, if you cannot tell, I'm very excited about this idea. I, hmm, okay. I would love, I mean, I would love to see just more stuff happening with the iPad hardware in general, right? Like, just make it all better, you know? Um, that would be super fun. Like, I, you know, why not, like, get rid of all the bezels and all of them, right? And And I wonder if we would see, what do you think about, like, an iPad mini with, like, an in-display fingerprint sensor or something? Do you think that would happen? Or do you think they would do Face ID on that product? I think they would do Face ID and they would do, like, that stuff should happen on the phone first. First, okay. Yeah. Yeah, eventually, why not? But I think if if they're going to do it, I feel like they should do it. And they're going to do it on the iPhone first. I feel like it is a foregone conclusion now that Touch ID will come back in some form. Mm. Right? Like, I feel like they must have made that decision now. Because who doesn't want it? Right? Who today does not want Touch ID to come back? Like, I'm wearing masks all the time, and I really hate putting in my passcode to pay for things on Apple Pay, right? Because I have to wear masks and want to wear masks, but I wear masks in retail stores, and it's so much slower for me to use Apple Pay now because I have to put my password in every time. So, like, I would love Touch ID to return at this point. Uh, I would love to have both. I want both. I think that'd be great. Apple Watch Series 6. I wonder what they're going to do with this because. Mm-hmm. The Series 5 surprised us, right, with the always-on display. I uh, I don't really have a good sense for what the Series 6 could could do, um, or, or like if if I'm going to be as excited about that as I watch was the Series 5, what do you think? But this is also a B for September 8th, if mm-hmm. Dave Federico doesn't want to come. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that the the 3D touch coming out of WatchOS 7, I think all but guarantees that the new watch won't have the hardware for that. Now, will that make it thinner or lighter or give it better battery life? I don't know, maybe a little bit. The thing that I think about is sleep tracking. Seems like they're going to gear that up and maybe the new watch hardware would have something better suited for that. I don't, I don't know what that would be, but the watch hardware at least is kind of getting to a point for me after the bigger screens and the always on display, I, I'm kind of running out of low hanging fruit for the hardware itself, other than just like massive battery life improvements. So I, I just, I'm with you. I don't really know what to expect here. New sensors on the watch would be interesting. We talked about this uh, in the context of the lack of um, mindfulness uh, features at, the, at WWDC in WatchOS 7. And we said maybe those are coming with like stress, uh, stress detection and all those. Um, I think at some point there was a rumor saying that WatchOS 7 was going to feature like um, support for detecting panic attacks, for example. And we said maybe those are coming Maybe those are coming, but with the addition of, of new sensors uh, for future watch hardware. So that would that would be really interesting, I think. That'd be nice. And then also air tags. Oh, th- finally! I mean, th- those have been rumored for like, what, like over a year at this yeah, point. I think that this product should have, would have been out by now, but just there hasn't been a right time to launch a product which is uh, ostensibly obviously. to help you find things outside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like you know, <laughs> not the right, not the right market to to produce this product in. I mean, uh, the only reason I could imagine Apple would put this out is because they will allow third parties to have this uh, with with iOS fourteen. So yeah, with the the Find My integration. Yeah, and then finally, October twenty seventh, Apple Silicon MacBook and MacBook Pro thirteen inch, apparently coming towards mm. the end of the year. Stephen, what do you think? I like the idea of there being a consumer and a professional notebook so we can start to see how Apple could separate those lines a little bit with Apple Silicon. I also assume this is a MacBook Air. I don't think this actually means like the 12-inch MacBook is coming back. But having an Air, good consumer notebook, thin and light, and then you have a Pro that could be thin and light but drastically faster. Like I just I want to see how they start to tease those lines out. I kind of assumed there'd be desktops early on, like a Mac Mini or an iMac. Like we said earlier, the iMac may be further off. But if they're going to do notebooks, I think having these two is a, is an interesting choice. And they're the most popular ones, right? Like most people don't buy a 16-inch MacBook Pro. Most people buy a 13-inch MacBook Pro or a MacBook Air. And so getting Apple Silicon into their most popular Macs off the bat will be a real move of strength. iPad Pro, what would this be? Uh, 5G. 5G is an obvious one. <laughs> yeah. Um, Wait, Stephen, what did you just say? I said uh, fake G. Fire. Oh, thanks, thanks, thanks. Just wanted to double check there. Uh, yeah, 5G. I mean, but you would... Ex- so my thinking would be that, like, uh, the current iPad Pro with just 5G in it would seem a bit weird, right? Like, I feel like that's, that's two nothing updates. So, like, I feel like if they're going to put 5G in an iPad this year, this year... It should probably have some other stuff in it, too. I mean, I, I expect a spec bump, right? It's still rocking the variant of the A12, so move that up to the A13 or 14 and put 5G in it. I think between those two things, like performance increase, 
maybe a little bit better camera, better networking. That's an iPad update. Mm. I think they're done jerking the sizes around. You know, they did that for a while in the iPad Pro. Like every time there was a new one, the sizes were slightly different. I think they've settled in now, and I expect it to resume more predictable updates, at least for a little while. A bigger iPad Pro, though, would be interesting, especially in the year when you're introducing features such as multi-column. It would be a really nice demo to to have an iPad Pro that lets you use multiple apps and multiple columns in iPadOS 14. Uh, Like, this is a personal wish of mine. I've long wanted to have like a 15 or 16-inch iPad Pro. just a thought. I, I don't think it's ever been rumored even, but it would be interesting to consider as a potential way to keep tweaking the you know the sizes without like introducing a new size rather than tweaking the existing lineup. There was also the rumor of the mini LED display. I don't think we've heard any uh, more updates on this front uh, over the past few months. No. Uh, so maybe it's just 5G camera, CPU, and that's it. But I think it would be really fascinating to have an, a bigger iPad Pro now that the iPad software um, has, you know, sidebars and three-column layouts and all that kind of stuff, especially because the multi-column stuff um, works in split view, uh, for example, but you don't get the multiple columns in split view. You only get two of them. So it would be nice to have that, uh, you know, that kind of products to show how the UI can scale up to bigger sizes and whatnot. So you're still hoping, but I don't think it's going to happen. Personally, I don't know about the mini LED yet. I don't. I just don't know, right? Like, I, I don't know if I can tell when they might do that. It, it's definitely something Apple is likely to do. That kind of technology. Would it be this year? Would the iPad get it first? Possibly. Would I? But like, would I love a bigger iPad? Yes. Just why not? Right. I would love like a 15, 16, 17 inch iPad that just sits in a permanent position. Like, I want that. That is a device that I would love. The last thing, really finishing this off of a bang for that October 27th event, Apple TV 4K. Wow. Yes. So forget everything I said about the iPad mini. This is the product I want. This is the one, right? This is the one. Uh, Yes. I don't know what this is. I mean, my expectation is mostly just to get it off the chip that it's on. I don't even remember what chip it's on. Right. So maybe both the HomePod and the Apple TV if they come out this year, is primarily to get them off those chips, but you would expect they've got to also maybe do at least something with both of them. I don't. I have no idea what you would do with the Apple TV. Like, I really don't know what, what they would do with that. Well, I have an idea. Okay. Redesigning the remote would be a good first step. Uh, you know, have an actual remote for actual people. Um, yeah. That would be, that would be a, a good change. Uh, I I don't I cannot think of anything that the Apple TV does not handle well performance wise. Uh, obviously nobody, like no actual human being right now has an 8K television, so that's out of that's out of the question for now. So I'm gonna say uh, maybe redesign the remote and uh, make it smaller uh, if possible because the footprint for small apartments and whatnot. I mean it's already small, but why not? And maybe, maybe, but that's a stretch. Uh, a game controller could be an interesting idea, but does Apple really have the knowledge? Or 
a willingness to do one when they have pretty great support for the DualShock and Xbox controller, especially in, in, in iOS 14 with all the new game controller APIs. So are mm-hmm. they really incentivized to make their own controller? Um, maybe if they can sell it at a premium, but I don't really know if they want to do one. So I'm going to say redesign the remote and make it smaller and cheaper. I will say if we get all of this this year, be a nice way to end the year. It's a lot of things, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe I won't get so mad about Tim Cook anymore. We'll find out. We'll Only find time out. will tell. Yes. <laughs> He's the gatekeeper to our Max. Come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. If you want to find links to stuff we spoke about, head on over to the website, relay.fm slash connected slash 305. I was on a show the other day and said the wrong show name of the URL. It was very embarrassing. Which one was it, and what did you do? Uh, on Ungenius, I said liftoff. Did you? I did, yeah. I didn't even notice it? I didn't either. In the edit, I didn't notice it. Oh, boy. <laughs> Gone, out the door. Oh, boy. So, uh, you want to point your web browser, relay.fm, slash connected, slash 305. While you're there, there's a bunch of fun activities. You can become a member. You will receive Connected Pro, a ad-free version of the podcast each week that is longer with bonus content. This week, we spoke about sleep schedules and horses that's as good as it sounds <laughs> true it's true and also uh vacations yes uh when we yes. were 16 years old if you are a member thank you so much for your support you can also send us an email from the website with feedback or follow-up or you can find us on twitter mike is there is i-m-y-k-e mike name another podcast you're on the test drivers we just did an episode comparing the oneplus nord and asus rog phone Gaming phone. Gaming phone versus cheap phone. Federico can be found on Twitter at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. He is the editor-in-chief of MacStories.net and is hard at work on his iOS 14, iPadOS 14 review. I'm very excited to see it. Me too. (laughs) Can't wait to see it. You can find me on Twitter as ISMH. I host a bunch of shows here on Relay as well, and you can find my writing at 512pixels.net. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Pingdom and Squarespace. Until next week, gentlemen, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Cheerio. Bye, y'all.